Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your co-host. And I'm Kyle Pietrantonio, and today we'll be talking with David Savage, the Executive Director of the Papal Foundation based in Philadelphia. The Papal Foundation serves to address our Holy Father's priorities to build the church, educate and prepare leaders, and care for the most vulnerable people, young and old, around the world. Prior to this position, Dave had a 25-year career as an executive in marketing, and most recently was the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Content Watch Holdings, Inc., the makers of the award-winning software suite NetNanny uh, that monitors and controls a child's computer and phone activity. When he's not working, Dave loves spending time with his wife and four sons, uh, which includes watching soccer matches and baseball games, as well as attending Boy Scout events, theatrical plays, and piano recitals. Dave, that sounds like my extracurricular life to a T. Dave, welcome to Follow to Lead. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. Well, Dave, you know, we are really glad that you're with us today. And I know that uh, right now you and your family live in the Philadelphia area. Is that where you're from? Kind of tell us a little bit about your upbringing and your family life. Sure. No, I moved to the Philadelphia area about 25 years ago, but I was born in Alexandria, Virginia, right across the river from the nation's capital. Grew up most of my years uh, in a town called Chantilly in western Fairfax County near Dulles Airport, Uh, went to school at Chantilly High School, and then after just a year in the Bronx at Fordham University, uh, went to the University of Virginia, which is where I graduated from, but uh, grew up baptized Catholic, my dad Catholic, my mother's Episcopalian, um, and they divorced when I was five years old, so uh, for many years I was shuttling back and forth between Catholic Mass and Episcopal services, depending when uh, which parent I was with. And so as a child, they seemed very similar to me. And it wasn't until I was older that I actually understood the, the difference. I really, when I, uh, I moved in with my father, my mother's a uh, musical theater actress, and she moved to New York City to pursue her career. My dad was a lifelong educator in Fairfax County Public Schools. And when I moved in with him in, starting in my fifth grade year, that's when my faith really started to grow, uh, just participating in uh, youth choir and Catholic youth organization, CYO. Uh, through high school and uh, and from there. So that's sort of some of the beginnings uh, in Virginia. Oh, that's interesting. I lived in Potomac Falls, which 
is a part of Sterling for 17 years before coming out here to Kansas City. So I know the uh, Chantilly area well. Were you at St. Timothy's? I was. St. Timothy's was my parish. Very happy time. As I said, CYO and uh, just some great priests, leaders, pastors there, and just a great commitment to the youth of that parish. So uh, and that it's, ex- it's exploded, I think, even since I was there in the late 70s and early to mid 80s, but just some nothing but fond memories from that. Dave, before making this pivot in your new role as executive director of the Papel Foundation, you had this extensive career in direct response marketing uh, right after college. If our listeners and viewers are like me, they'll probably ask, what is direct response uh, marketing? And tell us a little bit about your extensive career in that space. Sure. So out of college, I went to work for a PR firm that was based in New York City and Los Angeles. And I, I worked in both towns and Two of my clients, one was a uh, what was known as an infomercial marketing company, uh, Gothi Ranker, which many people would come to know later as marketing the proactive line of skincare. But they had a variety of uh, products and, and celebrities that they worked with. And one was Anthony Robbins, who was a motivational speaker and author, a best-selling, uh, well-known uh, motivational speaker and author. And so I represented both of them in, in public relations and press. And so at a very early age, I got a lot of experience working with the media and working with individuals and companies that were involved in direct response marketing. And direct response marketing for me was mostly television. Imagine a 30-second, one-minute, two-minute, or 30-minute commercial which advertises a product or service, and you would order that product through 800 number or going online at e-commerce. And so that led to a, having been at the PR firm for a couple of years, that led to a, a role when I moved back to Washington, D.C. from Los Angeles, a role with the Trade Association which represented companies like those, as well as PVC and Home Shopping Network, the 24-hour shopping channels. And that then led to a job, which brought me to Philadelphia, a family-run business uh, called American Telecast, which marketed uh, fitness products, beauty products, intellectual property, uh, what we call you know, audio and videotape products, which help people improve their lives. And I, what happened was I, with a partner at that company, we started we started selling media buying services. The company bought media for itself from national television, uh, cable networks and local broadcast stations. But we started selling those services for other, for other companies which were buying the time. And we did that and built the company up to a pretty significant size. And uh, we were purchased uh, by a private equity firm. They paired us with a, a Portland, Oregon-based agency that uh, not only had media buying, but creative. And so from 2005 to 2015, I got to fly around the country meeting all kinds of corporate marketers and emerging brand marketers and even entrepreneurs and to, to help them sell their products through television and online digital platforms. And uh, so that was really the bulk of my career. Also during that time, I got to go on air and help sell products on QVC for the sharper image. So marketing products, direct consumer and, and messaging and helping people understand what things did in a very short amount of time is sort of my background and uh, very much enjoyed it for a better part of 20 years. Now, uh, Dave, as a business executive and uh, getting involved in all of these different activities and entrepreneurial work, how did your Catholic faith play a role in your business decisions or your business life? Sure. So I would say when I moved to Philadelphia, uh, I would say I kept, I never stopped going to mass, even through all some of the professional experiences i just explained to you. But in my 20s, I think I was sort of maybe going through the motions. And when I moved to Pennsylvania from Washington, I only knew one person. And uh, I very quickly wanted to get involved uh, in the church and, and met some people. And we started a young adult ministry 
1997, uh, just a couple, a few guys and a few women. And we were committed to doing a Bible study every Wednesday evening. And very quickly, within six months, we had 70 young adults um, coming to this Bible study where we break up into small groups and talk about the readings for the upcoming Sunday. And it was really through that group I met so many faith-filled Catholic young adults and good priests. And it really, I think, in my late 20s, early 30s is when I really came to embrace my faith and take full ownership in it. And from there, that led to a really uh, just a host of opportunities in the church. First and foremost, the Catholic Leadership Institute, which is an amazing apostolate, also based here in Philadelphia. I had a a mentor, Tim Flanagan, who founded the Institute, friends like Matt Mannion and Dan Salucci. Matt led the uh, the organization as president CEO for many, many years. Dan Salucci is now the CEO of the organization. And that organization trains both clergy and lay people, takes sort of the best in leadership training from the corporate world and applies it uh, in a spiritual and faith-filled way to the church so that the church can raise up leaders uh, in a specific church context. And so that really uh, imprinted on my mind what, how important it is to be a Catholic leader, not just a leader in business, but a Catholic leader. And so that really helped both the gospel reflection and working with CLI helped me to be uh, a faithful Catholic in business. And, you know, from time to time in business, you, you're faced with decisions where uh, do you want to focus on, it's not that you can't have profit and faith, but sometimes you're, you're sort of, you may have a quandary where you're like, hmm, which, which do I have to choose? And so I think having a strong faith really helps you, keeps you, you know, guided on the long run uh, in terms of the decision-making, how you, most importantly, how you treat people both on your, on your team, but also externally partners that you're negotiating with or that you have to work with. Dave, after your many years in the marketing industry, you began a company called Content Watch Holdings, uh, which produced the award-winning program Net Nanny, helping parents address the challenges of finding a healthy and safe way for their children to manage their time and exploration on all the screens that confront us on a daily basis. Tell us about how you got into that space and, and your thoughts on screens and technology in Catholic schools as a father of four in Catholic schools? Sure. Well, so I had been in the ad agency business for 20 years. I I had married my wife, Kim, in the year 2005, and we had four boys very quickly. And so they're currently 15, 14, 12, and nine. Uh, But going back, what, uh, about six years, obviously they were much younger. And I was starting as I was flying around the country, working with clients and pitching new business. I was starting to miss scout meetings and soccer practices and games. And my wife and I sort of did an inventory and thought, okay, how much do we want to keep going along this road when the children are growing up so fast? And so my partners uh, at the agency were terrific. We, we planned a, a, you know, an exit that took place over a certain amount of time. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but one of the potential things uh, was Net Nanny, and uh, I had met a fellow parishioner who uh, was familiar with this company, Content Watch. The more I thought about it, because I was confronting the issues that you just mentioned, where your kids are buried in iPads or phones or on their desktop, and I thought, gosh, what an opportunity to take my sort of my e-commerce and uh, marketing experience and maybe help parents get a hold of this screen time issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Net Nanny sort of best known as a desktop solution for blocking pornography, and helping parents filter content that they don't want their children to see at certain ages. And so we raised some money and created this new company called Content Watch Holdings. Our, really, our main goal was to set out to create 
new software, which could be downloaded onto smartphones, Android and, uh, and Apple phones, as well as the desktop solutions, and really let parents have more of a window, not just blocking and filtering content, but having an understanding of what, uh, how much time their children are spending uh, on screens. And so I did that for five years, learned a lot about how parents think about parenting their children, especially this is such a huge issue. You've, you've indicated it. Uh, it used to be, you know, you, you were worried about what house your kid was going to. You still worry about that. But now when you hand a child a, a device, an iPad or a phone, many increasingly at age you know, nine and 10, like as their own phone, as opposed to just a family iPad, you're, you're really handing them access to so much. And so it's really incumbent upon I believe as parents that you take an active role in from a parenting perspective and what they're seeing, what they're researching, what they're doing, who they're talking to, because it can be very dangerous uh, in the online world. And so I think parents have a special responsibility, as do schools who are often handing devices, iPads, you know, all for good, very good reasons for learn, you know, for to facilitate learning, because there's a beautiful world out there of access to information through these devices, right, on the internet but a lot of danger too. And, uh, and so we have an awesome responsibility to help guide our, our children navigate those online uh, waters, so to speak. What about Catholic schools, Dave? I know you've got kids in Catholic schools and just from being down in the trenches, both Kyle and I serving in schools, are there ways that you would suggest schools to better address the area of technology? Because as you said, technology is an ally, but it also can produce some really disastrous results as well. Sure. Well, I, th- I think it's a complex issue, right? Because schools have different um, capabilities as it re- regards to technology, depending on budgets and, and just help, uh, not only from professionals, but from parent volunteers. And so I really think it's not one size fits all. But just, a, I mean, a couple of pointers I would suggest is, A, be actively aware of this issue. I think most educators are. It's really about having converse, just like any parenting or a teacher-student relationship um, topic. It's about having a conversation and a dialogue and being aware of you know, how they're living today. I think sometimes it may be that certain teachers aren't even aware, if they don't have young children, of what the reality is uh, nowadays for these devices being so, they're not coming into them at schools, but they're so prevalent in the child's life because the parents either handing them or they're, I know in my case, my children are desperate to have it because it, it's where they find their friends, you know, online playing games or, you know, and some, some of these things, whether it's, you know, again, can be very productive in terms of creativity and learning and teamwork, whether it's Roblox or some you know, other popular platforms, but you really have to have a conversation, be aware of it, and then understand the pitfalls so that you can protect folks. But, you know, schools, in my experience, at least in the schools my children are in, the technology is embraced uh, at a whole variety of levels, and you just have to make sure that that embrace includes uh, guardrails and safeguards to help protect the children's not only their consumption, but what they're seeing. And I would, I would say the one last thing I would say is get parents involved. The schools can get parents involved because so many parents, at least in my experience, are very tech savvy, maybe even technology is profession, and they can help the school figure out what the best strategy is for providing good experiences for the kids. All right, Dave. So you have all of this for-profit experience in uh, largely around the the marketing space. Mm -hmm. And then the Papel Foundation happens to you. Tell us about how that pivot in your kind of vocational journey all came about. Sure. Well, essentially what happened was 
Net Nanny, we very end of last year and then into the beginning of this year, the company was sold to a UK-based company, which had a complimentary set of parenting features. And so I knew that was happening. It was sort of a slow roll uh, when it happened. And so I had the opportunity to think about sort of even before I was done there, what I wanted to do next. I'm, I'm 53 years old. I feel like my life, my career is nowhere uh, near over. And uh, I, a lot of things excite me. And so I, I actually, the way PayPal Foundation came to be is I, I wrote a note to um, a person who had served on the board at Catholic Leadership Institute with many years ago. And she's very connected in the church and I respect her enormously. And I said, look, I'm trying to think about what I can do either in business or maybe in helping the church. I'd always been a volunteer in the church. You know, what could I sink my teeth into? And she had a bunch of ideas for me. But one idea that she suggested, she called me back after our initial conversation a few days later. And she goes, I really think you need to look at the table. Uh, they're both stewards of St. Peter. And I'll explain what that means uh, in a few minutes when we discuss the table foundation a little bit more. But she said, look at this opportunity. And I did. And the more I knew a few people who were involved, both on the staff and both on the volunteer leadership perspective, I knew, knew of the organization and knew of the people. So I was already, it already was credible to me for so many reasons. I wasn't exactly sure I wanted to get into the, the nonprofit world, but the more I learned about the opportunity and the more and more importantly, the more I prayed about it, the more I really tried to listen to what God may be saying about what was right for me at this time in my life the more I sort of concluded that this would be a really great place for me, to your point, Father, maybe to, to take my, the experience that I've gained in the business world and match it with my passion for the church and what the church does so well, which is help the poor and the vulnerable. And so the more I thought about and prayed about it, I got excited about it. And luckily for me, the board, <laughs> the selection committee and the board also thought I might, would be a good match. So that's how it came about. And really, that was just a few months ago. I've been uh, here at the People Foundation since July 12th. And so you're, uh, you're talking to me as a very new person on the job. Well, the Papal Foundation is something that I know many of our viewers and listeners may not be aware of all that, that it does. So can you kind of give us a little bit of an overview of the organization? Sure. And I can approach it from a, a bunch of angles. But the best way to explain it, I think, is to first say that since its inception in 1988, since then, the Papal Foundation has distributed around the world $200 million in grants and scholarships. So on the grant side, more than 2,100 projects around the world, mostly in develop, developing nations, have received uh, grants from the Papal Foundation. And when we talk about grants, we're talking about specifically building in whole or in part, building schools, uh, building churches, building hospitals, providing humanitarian aid, uh, providing technology to help schools do better, but also to build radio stations, which help evangelize. And this is mostly to developing nations. So just for instance, and we've been highlighting these in the last few weeks, helping build houses in the Philippines for 30 different families, helping the missionaries of charity in Chad, teach, house, and feed children. And so each, each project typically, and I'm, I'd like to explain to you how the process works, um, but again, at a high level, in addition to the grants, there's also a scholarship fund element uh, to the foundation, the John Paul II, St. John Paul II Scholarship Fund. And what that's done in the last 30 years 
has helped more than 1,500 clergy, religious, and lay people study at the pontifical universities in Rome. So more than $12 million in scholarships for leaders in the church to follow their studies in Rome, and then they take back their education to their home diocese. So that's sort of the grants and the scholarships make up the impact that the foundation makes. I'll keep going until you stop me, but the the way the grants work, because it's really a unique, it's a very unique, uh, I think, foundation, one that's tied very tightly with the Holy Father and the Holy See. And so uh, how it works is you may be a priest or a lay person in a certain territory, it could be Africa, it could be South America, it could be Asia. You write to your papal nuncio in your country and you say, I have this need. I want to build, you know, a school, a hospital, a church, or I need humanitarian aid. You write to the nuncio. The nuncio then can forward up to three requests to the Vatican on an annual basis. And the Vatican and the Holy Father, they call together all those requests, which are several hundred uh, in volume. And what they do, the Holy Father and his team prioritize those requests. And so it started with John Paul II, continued with Pope Benedict, and now Pope Francis, they prioritized what they believe are the important projects. That list is sent to the Papal Foundation and a grants committee and the trustees approve the dissemination of those grants. So for instance, last year, about $10 million in grants, uh, more than 100 projects around the world were approved. And this year we're sort of gearing up for uh, the grants are now coming in. The grant requests are now coming in uh, this year. And we're, we have a very exciting announcement in December about the amount of, of funds that we're able to allocate around the world uh, in 2022. And Dave, the lion's share of the philanthropy, I suspect, comes from board members' contributions. Is that correct, Dave? Sure. That's a great question. And thank you for, so I've talked about how the money goes out and who it impacts, but where does the money come from, right? And so there is a, an amazing group of North American Catholic philanthropists about over the last 30 years, about 180 families who have donated funds. And what's unique about the Papal Foundation is we will accept a gift of any size. Uh, you, the three of us, we could each write a check for $100 to the Papal Foundation. But the Papal Foundation has, uh, what's unique about it is that these families that are, you know, that have come together, they're each giving uh, at least $1 million, which is no small, no small check, right, to help fund these priorities that each of our Holy Fathers has prioritized. So that's how uh, the corpus has grown over the years and what enables us to give away now on an annual basis uh, at least $10 million, um, which is great. And really the goal, uh, one of the reasons why I'm here and why I'm so excited to be here is that the Board of Trustees has really some very ambitious goals, and I give them a lot of credit. They want to not just give away $10 million on an annual basis, but really $20, $30, $40 million And that requires finding more generous Catholics here in the United States and Canada to understand that uh, while we certainly help our neighbor, you know, uh, next door, across the street, in our towns, in our states, here in in the U.S. where there's already great need, but around the world, especially in developing nations, where we can share as North Americans, we can share, we're some of the wealthiest folks in the world. How can we share our wealth with our neighbors halfway around the world so that they can have food, clothing, um, shelter, places to worship. And so what I like to say is that the Papal Foundation creates, helps create communities of love so that they, whether it's a hospital or a church or a school, 
you're providing that infrastructure and also the means for those communities of faith, of Catholic faith to flourish. Um, and so that's why I get excited about talking to you about the Papal Foundation, because it's doing so much good in, uh, in so many places. Now, Dave, with, uh, with the schools that you are working with and other, especially developing nations, what's the greatest need? Is it building buildings or uh, providing resources? What do you see early on as uh, some of the greatest needs that are there? Yeah, so the disclaimer for me would be is I'm going, I'm just about to enter into my first grant making process, but certainly from talking to the staff and talking to stewards here, it really is, uh, I would say, those the helping create those physical structures which allow you to do so much, right? So it is either in part or in whole, helping build those, those churches uh, and those schools where the Catholic faith, people can experience them in a safe and, you know, efficient and um, comfortable environment that, uh, that as Americans, we all feel, right? You know, we sort of take for granted our parishes, our schools, uh, and our hospitals, but in, in places around the world, you can't necessarily take that for granted. And so to be able to provide, it's amazing what, how the American dollar can get, what's the right word, stretched, so to speak, like, you know, for $20,000 in the Philippines, literally building 30 homes um, for families that haven't had that kind of place to flourish in their, in their direct communities. This kind of money goes a long way, uh, whether it's in Africa, Asia, South America, to help, you know, our fellow Catholics and Christians experience just a, a beautiful place to, to learn about Jesus and, and share their love with one another. Dave, is there any founding document that limits the, the board to the U.S. and Canada or North America you, you mentioned? I mean, could you grow the corpus and the philanthropy of the Papal Foundation by reaching other Catholic philanthropists in other parts of the world who want to use this as a vehicle to reach the Holy Father's priorities? It's really the, the history of it. It started with Cardinal Kroll here in Philadelphia. That's why the foundation is based in Philadelphia. The American Cardinals all sit on our member board, and so we enjoy their, their support. But it really is currently, as structured, is really a, a North American endeavor. Uh, and the, stu- the I mentioned the, the stewards of St. Peter, those generous families that donate that $1 million um, total, they become known as stewards of St. Peter. And... Um, Currently, you're, you're asking a great question, but in practice and, and certainly in my experience, it's certainly it's North Americans. And we have, we have pools of stewards all around the country. There's obviously uh, many here in Philadelphia, Denver, Southern California, uh, Florida, uh, or just some, and I had the good fortune of visiting Denver just a couple of weeks ago to meet with some of the stewards. Um, and so they're really amazing leaders in the church who are already doing so much for the church in the U.S., but they've seen fit gratefully and you know, graciously to help support the church around the world. Now, in these projects, when you have, for example, grants that have been awarded for certain projects, uh, is that information made event- available to the general public? Absolutely. So you can go to thepapalfoundation.org, and we have a whole section on grants for the most recent grant awards. And so you'll find that in most cases, grants range in size from fifty to one hundred thousand um, dollars, and you can go by. You can, it's a very easy uh, way to navigate on the website. You can see there's a map, and then by country, uh, and countries obviously can have multiple um, grant recipients. You can see exactly where the money's going. 
I was wondering about some of our schools that might love to partner with a school that has received a grant, maybe to provide additional resources or become a, a sister school or something, and whether that would provide enough information for them to contact uh, the school and maybe get involved with them a little bit. Yeah. And what I would say here is, you know, in Philadelphia, we can certainly answer any questions, but about how the process works, but essentially it starts the advice that we'll ultimately give uh, after we answer the questions is that the, uh, at the local level, the individuals, uh, you know, the entity that's applying, you know, whether it's a religious order or, you know, an apostolate or a uh, parish in the local territory, they need to work through the papal nuncio, um, you know, and, and make, uh, you know, make their request known in that way. And so it, it really is special in the way that it's, that it's working with the church. I mean, there are many great Catholic philanthropists that may uh, work directly with an organization uh, in, in Africa or South America. But this is a way to ensure that the Holy what, what matters to the Holy Father the most is um, those monies are going to those needs specifically. In addition to what you've been doing here at the, the Papal Foundation, I know over the years, that you've been involved in uh, such things, as you said before, the Catholic Leadership Institute. You also have been involved with the Theology of the Body Institute, uh, as well as the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, Sisters of Life, Generation Life. And so you've offered yourself in a number of ways voluntarily to ministries and apostolates of the church. What currently are you doing in addition to your, your work there at the Papal Foundation? Sure. Well, very, very proud of my uh, involvement with Catholic Leadership Institute and Theology of the Body Institute and Foundation. I would say since I've come on board here at, at, the, at the Papal Foundation, it's really my priority. And so I'm trying to like back away right. a little bit, you know, from the national organizations that I've volunteered for and helped in the past. But I would say in addition to the Papal Foundation, like I'm really trying to keep it focused since that's my national and international priority now, you know, uh, in my workday, really trying to focus on uh, my local parish and schools and my family. So at the parish level, I'm a Eucharistic minister. I just within the last couple of years, we discovered the joy of taking communion to the homebound. Um, and so um, I'm introducing my children to that, uh, which is beautiful. I love that. At my element, my kids' elementary school, with COVID and everything, we, we have a safety and a health and safety committee, and that requires, as you can imagine, a lot of time and energy right. to make sure the kids and the teachers and the staff at the school are, are safe. So I've been very involved with that in the last year or so. And then um, with the parish, I mentioned the Eucharistic ministering, but uh, there's all kinds of, you know, tithing committees and. Uh, different endeavors. We, uh, my parish uh, provides all the volunteers and a lot of financial support for a, a Catholic concert that just took place in Paoli called Abbey Fest. We had 3,000 people there a week ago Saturday. And Matt Marr, who's a popular uh, mm -hmm. musician and his band was there. Jonathan Rumi, who, if you haven't seen the, the Chosen series, uh, which is about Jesus and the Apostles, I just love that show. And I don't think enough people know about it. And so we had Jonathan Rumi, who plays, who's a Catholic devout Catholic himself, the actor who played, portrays Jesus Christ, he was there to provide a, a, a great talk. And so um, that keeps me, I mean, that's enough. I yeah. mean, I, I, I mean the, you mentioned all the uh, the apostolates and, and, and great things like Focus and Sisters of Life, which we continue to support uh, financially and have great friends of those organizations, um, but really trying to focus on Papal Foundation in my local parish and school. 
Well, Dave, this has been a, a wonderful conversation and we'd love to you know, visit again with you as you get more months under your belt uh, in this role and, and to, to hear of the great work the Papal Foundation is doing around the world uh, based on the Holy Father's um, uh, priorities. Uh, really, really neat concept. No, it's an amazing organization. I feel blessed uh, to be here and to work with just some really beautiful Catholic leaders around the country who are so committed to helping build the church around the world. So I feel so amazingly blessed. And I appreciate the leadership that you're showing by having conversations like this. And I believe Catholic schools are so important to our, our culture here in the United States. So thank you for shining a light on the importance of Catholic education. I think our country does better when there are more um, faithful Catholics who come up through primary schools and high schools and then on to, to university. So thank you for your leadership in Catholic education. Dave, thanks so much. Now, if people want to know more about the foundation, where do they go on the web? What's the yeah, address? So very simple, www.thepapalfoundation.org. And you'll see once you get there, a whole lot of great information on who we're helping. You can learn all kinds of things about the organization as well as how to contact me and my uh, colleagues here at the foundation. Great. Well, again, thank you so much, Dave Savage, for being our guest today on Follow to Lead and telling us a little bit about the Papal Foundation, as well as, you know, the other things that you've been involved in in your life. I think one of the big takeaways for me that I love is, you know, with all of the national and international work, that really your life is also has this huge focus on the local parish, the local school. And uh, that really really speaks volumes, I think, because that really is where we live out our faith, where mm -hmm. that's the ground truth of Catholicity is really found at those levels. So I appreciate you kind of being an example and a model for that, that kind of a lifestyle. For our subscribers, thank you for listening. If you have not subscribed, please do so and uh, leave a comment to encourage us toward future programming. And we also want to give thanks to our production intern, Alex Shire, for assisting with this podcast. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.